All right. Good morning, everyone. Awesome to see you in church today. Hey, let me introduce myself really quick. My name is Brent Thomas. Um, I guess officially I'm the worship and creative arts pastor here at Harvest Bible Chapel, but just unofficially, I'm just a guy who loves the Lord, who loves the Lord's people, and wants to see those people connect with Him in a really deep and meaningful way. And I get to do that in a lot of cool ways here at our church, and today I'm really excited to do that through His Word. So you've got your Bibles. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're continuing in this series, Walk This Way. As you turn there, Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to think about this question. When was the last time you set out to make a significant change in your life? Something that you you went after, you had a goal, a purpose, you set some things in motion to go after that, and this was going to radically change who you were. We're uh, a little over three months into 2018, and I can imagine that in a room this size, there are several people who maybe made some resolutions Right? And we won't do a poll to see how those resolutions are going. Um, but more so, just the fact remains that we made some commitments. We decided, hey, I want to change this about myself. We po- plotted a course. We made it happen. Whether it was a physical change, like an amount of weight to lose, or a daily habit that you wanted to start doing, um, or a spiritual change, like, hey, I want to start attending church, or reading my Bible more regularly These things happen and we don't uh, just kind of all of a sudden it happens, right? We make an effort, we have a plan, and we go after it. We try to change. And really, whenever we change, we're not doing it so that we'd be worse off before. You don't intentionally make changes in your life thinking that, oh, maybe I'll be somewhere around the same level or worse. You do things to be better. Your hope in every change that you've pursued in your life has been that you would come out on the other end of that radically transformed into a different person. You don't just leave a job to take a worse job. You go for something better. You don't just stop doing something and then start doing something, replace that with something that's worse for you. You start doing something better. All of the changes we make in life are striving to be improved. A quick search on Amazon this week for me turned up over 40,000 results on books on change. The number one result that came up was a book titled, I Want to Change My Life, How to Overcome Anxiety, Depression, and Addiction. It was not a Christian book. It was filled with worldly wisdom on what it means to overcome these uh, in inner feelings that you tap into in these meditations, in these thoughts that you can have to somehow improve your life. What I kind of concluded from that search of these 40,000 plus results is that everybody wants to change. Nobody knows how to do it. We all want to be better. We all want to be different. Whether you're in a season of your life right now where you're like going after something that you want to change or you can relate to something in your past that you've done, We've all sought out wisdom on how to do that. If you wanted to build muscle, you wouldn't just wake up and start chugging eggs and running stairs because you saw Rocky do it. Okay? You would research, you would look up nutrition and diet plans and a strength training program and talk to your doctor and another sports physical therapist people. You would research and gather all this information and then set out on that course with the advice of others. 
If you wanted to change your career, you wouldn't just decide one day in your cubicle that this wasn't the right path for you, get up, walk into your boss's office, say, hey, I'll see you later, and do cartwheels out the front door, and then expect that the job's just waiting for you as you walked out. No, you would make a plan, you would research, you would interview, you would apply, you would find the job that you want to go after, and then you would quit the job. You can maybe do cartwheels at that point, but I would advise against it. So as we look at the book of Ephesians and its direction and how we should walk, we're going to look at a passage today that encourages us to have a new walk. It's going to call us to change. Now, already I know that there are two groups of people in the room today, and uh, so we're going to get a little honest in church. There's the group of people that when I say the word change, you start to cringe a little bit. So my people who are like, hey, I'm not a really big change person, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hands up, which I know is a change from what you're doing right now, but just slip your hands up if you're changed. You're like, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And why would we go somewhere else? It's Thursday. We always go here on Thursday. Why did you move the couch? It was fine where it was. Those type of people. Raise them high. Come on. We need you. We love you. We love you. We, we Thank you for your steadfastness. Thank you for your faithfulness. We need you. All right, but then there's another group of people, my people. These are the changers, right? These are the people, if it ain't broke, let's break it, and then we'll figure out how to make it better, okay? It's Thursday, let's pretend it's Tuesday and do something different. Where are those people at, my changers? Yeah, we just change, why not? Let's just change for change's sake. Love it. We're the people, right? Talking myself up a little bit. But these people, they blaze the trail, right? We need you too. We need you too. And this is why I love the church, because we need both. We need the people like, hey, maybe, maybe that way is not so great anymore. Let's go this way. And then the people go, yeah, I'll latch on to that vision and I'll make sure it happens every week. I love that. We have people like that in our church right now. If you don't know this, we're a portable church. We're not Kellogg Middle School Church. Uh, Harvest Bible Chapel meets here. There's people that are steadfast and faithful and making this vision come to life every single week, setting this place up, making it happen. The exact same way. There's a process. They follow it. And there's people on that team who are like, hey, man, this isn't the best way. Maybe we could do this better. I love that. Two groups of people. I just want to acknowledge that in the room today. Those who are super fired up and ready to go after some change. And there's already another group that's like, I'm not doing that. Let's just get it out there. But in all seriousness, we came today to be changed. I don't know about you. I didn't walk in the room this morning hoping, man, I really hope I leave today. I'm the exact same person I was when I walked in. It's not my thought process coming to church. I come to church going, God, I want you to intersect my life right here. I want to walk out of these doors better than I was when I walked in. Not because of something that I did, but because of what your spirit is doing in me and my response and obedience to that. So hopefully today we leave here and we go, oh man, I got to change some stuff. That's the kind of change we're going after. Let's read the passage together. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Would you pray with me? Father, would you help us change? Lord, the world is pressing in on all sides, calling for our affection and our worship. But God, you've called us to something much higher. You show us a different way to walk, a way that would help us be a light to a dark world. God, open up our eyes. Open up our hearts to your word. Help us change. By the power of your spirit, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Starting back at verse 17, you see Paul establishing the problem with a certain type of walk. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. When he writes the word Gentiles here, in that culture, it would have been anyone who wasn't a Jew. Okay, so taking that to present day for us, it is a way we would describe anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, an unbeliever, unsaved person. Ungodly, pagan is the word. And he's referring to these people because he wants to make a clear distinction for the church at Ephesus of the two lifestyles that are happening in their city. See, Ephesus was a very pagan city. The temple of Artemis was there. She was a sex goddess, which brought with it a lot of weird, crazy stuff that went on on the regular in that town. Stuff that would, if like Sodom and Gomorrah was around, they would have been like, well, at least we're not Ephesus. Okay, bad stuff happening in that city. But because it was ingrained in the culture, it started to just be normal. It was just the way it was. Nobody felt bad about it. And Paul is saying, uh, hey, think about this. This isn't good. When we sin and have a do-whatever-feels-good culture and it runs rampant, we become desensitized to it and it starts to become the norm. And Paul is saying, stop. Stop walking this way. This isn't for you. You need a new walk. In this first point, you need a new style. You need to change your style. You don't have to be a a fashionista to to notice style trends that happen in the world. You just look back at like the last 40 years of, of culture and you can see some trends that came and went that are kind of like crazy to even think about, right? Just look back at some of your high school yearbook photos and what people were wearing. For some of you, that was like yesterday. I get that. But for you know, other people, it was a long time ago, and there were some different styles that went on. So we're going to get real in church today. Are you guys all right with that? I'm going to show you some pictures of me in middle school and high school. There I am, seventh grade. Um, this was my introduction to worship ministry right here playing the bass with a Canadian flag sticker on it. I still don't know why. I'm from America. I was from like northern Indiana. I'm not like Minnesota. You guys are like half Canadian. I'm from Indiana. It's like not even anywhere close. So, but apparently it was cool. It was punk rock. Uh, Studded belt, bracelets, ball chain necklace, and jet black dyed hair. Awesome. All right, next picture. It's like a freshman year, I think. You notice my biggest changes come in hair colors. Um, that track jacket was like life, man. I wore that every day, rocked it. All right, cool, next one. There it is, look at that, the flowy locks. That hair color is the result of having black hair and deciding in one night I was gonna go to straight blonde. That's not blonde. 
Um, yep, that shirt says cow tipping on it. That was super cool. Next shirt, next picture. There he is. All right, freshman year of college. I wore that hat for a year straight. I think my wife burned it, so <laughs> grateful for her. All right, get it off the screen. Take it off. All right, but styles change. Things change, All right? In the same way, those pictures remind me of a place I'm never going back to ever again, right? Paul is saying, hey, you got to change your style. The world around you is telling you what you should do. Don't do it. Styles change, and we need to change our style in Christ. In fact, he gives us four characteristics of this pagan culture that prove why this is not a good lifestyle for us as believers. Okay? Four characteristics of ungodly people. Number one, they're intellectually futile. Intellectually futile, their thinking is warped. When it comes to moral and spiritual issues, an unbeliever, an ungodly person cannot think straight. 1 Corinthians 2 says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It doesn't compute. It's futile in the mind of an unbeliever because they are trapped in an endless cycle of selfish motives. They are only concerned with accumulating that which is utterly temporary, what they desire, what they feel. And the more they search for satisfaction in that, the more they find it to be deceptive and disappointing. They are intellectually futile. Second thing, they are ignorant of God's truth. It says it right there in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. I've met some really smart people. We live in a, in a town with a lot of really smart people. I was out to breakfast with a friend the other day, and uh, he, he points across the restaurant, and he says, hey, you see that guy? Um, that guy is one of the top GI proceduralists in the world. And I look at him, and I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> but sounds really important. I look across the restaurant, and there's this just unassuming man sipping his coffee, reading the newspaper. And he knows more about that part of the body than most people in the world. Most people in the world would not even compare to what he knows about that stuff. But what Paul is saying, and I don't, I don't pretend to know where that man stands with the Lord, but what Paul is saying is that if that man does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, everything he knows is worthless in comparison to the truth of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3.7 says that the ungodly are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Education is huge in our society. It's almost more offensive to call a person ignorant than it is to say they're sinful to say that they don't know. We put so much stock in what we can learn and what our minds can achieve. And Paul is making it very clear that without Christ, there is a level of understanding the truth of this world that is Jesus Christ that you can never have. You are ignorant of God's truth. Number three, they're spiritually and morally calloused. End of verse 18 into 19. Ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. 
They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I started weightlifting in high school, um, but it wasn't until I hit college that I started to spend a lot of time with a barbell in my hands. I remember one of the first workouts I did with my roommate, we did all this crazy stuff, cleans, whatever, you want deadlifts, and just holding the bar for a long time. And we came back the next day, and the last thing I wanted to do was to pick up that barbell because my hands were so raw. They, oh, it hurt so bad. And after everything we did, I'd like scream and douse them in chalk to try and make some type of protective layer between me and the steel. And it's kind of sadistic, but you just keep doing that for a few weeks, and then you stop having pain in your hands. Why? You develop calluses on your hands. There's a tough layer of skin that comes onto your hands in the area that you would grip the bar, and you're no longer having to feel the effects of what it's doing to your skin because there's a protective layer. Do you get the picture? When it comes to spiritual and moral issues, the unbelievers have calluses around whenever they come in contact with these issues. They don't feel them. They don't care. They don't even think about what it means to be unrighteous or have sin in their life. It doesn't phase them in any way. They reject all standards of righteousness and have no regard for the consequences of their own acts of unrighteousness. I saw a Subway commercial. Subway, like the sandwiches. And they have this whole campaign now called Make It Your Way. But the song playing, actual lyrics here of the song in the commercial, you can do and you can say anything you want Live your life and I'll live mine any way I want. You can have and you can take anything you want. Everything that you do, make it what you want. We are at the point in our society where sandwiches can be a statement that there are no absolutes, there are no rules, and I can do whatever I want because I feel like it. Listen, I don't know when my foot-long turkey with pepper jack on nine-grain whole wheat became a statement of anarchy, but I don't want any part of that. But this is the society that we live in. The last characteristic is kind of a culmination of all these last three. They are depraved in mind. Futile, self-centered thinking, ignorance of truth, and spiritual, moral callousness leads inevitably to, end of verse 19, sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. See, all people initially recognize some level of right and wrong, and they understand that when they do wrong, that they should have guilt. Guilt and shame come into play to make them uncomfortable in the things that they are doing wrong. I didn't have to teach my three-year-old son that when he smacks his brother and he cries, that he should like feel bad about that. It's pretty ingrained in him. That doesn't mean he's not going to do it again. But he does feel a sense of remorse. He can tell that, hey, this, maybe this wasn't the best decision. And we're all kind of start out that way. Even if we continually fall into the same thing, we recognize it as wrong, as something we shouldn't be doing. We hide it. We pretend like it's not there. But the longer we continue to overrule our conscience and train ourselves to do what is wrong, that little voice in our head grows quieter. And eventually, 
We reject the standards that we knew instinctively and we choose to live solely based on our desires. We don't care about what other people think or how they feel, not to mention what God thinks or how he feels, but only what satisfies the cravings of our depraved mind. When a person decides to walk their own way, this is the direction they are headed. They cut themselves off from God, consequently cutting themselves off from the truth, becoming spiritually blind and without any standards of morality. Some worse than others, yes. I was, uh, there's a, a research out, uh, it's this like three book thing of uh, the mind of a criminal. And there's three sections dedicated within that, that study of these criminal minds to how these people operate and how they think. Some of the most heinous people in the world to like a petty theft. It all has one source too. These people have concluded that it's not like they're just perfectly normal people and there's a situation or something that makes them snap. In their daily life and everything that they choose, they have continually again and again rejected any standard of morality or truth and have gone based solely on what they feel and what they believe. They have no standard of truth. They have no standard of morality. And that culminates into these acts. You look at the world around us and the things that are happening, happening the, the, the terrible, terrible things. This is not like they just woke up one day and decided that this is how they should live. This was a, a lifetime, a lifestyle that they pursued. And... When you think about that, well, I, okay, I'm, I'm not that bad. Okay, I'm never going to be that bad. For you to think that, for you to, to believe that even you're here this morning and haven't experienced the level of ungodliness that Paul is referencing in verses 17 through 19 is purely because of God's common grace over your life. God's common grace to the believer and the unbeliever that he would protect you from that type of depravity. He has you in this room for a reason. Whether you believe in him or not, you can only thank God, but by the grace of God, go I. Paul says, stop walking that way. Pursue a new walk. Change your style. When you change your style, you have to change your image. You have to change your image. Read verse uh, 20 through 21 with me. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Learned, heard, taught. I want you to underline those in your Bible. Those are all synonyms for salvation, the moment of salvation, the understanding of the gospel, the response to the call of Jesus Christ on your life, that he is your savior. This is how you get a new walk. You go to the foot of the cross. That's where you find this new image. You start to realize who you are. Then you start to realize whose you are. The new walk in Christ is the exact opposite of the old 
walk of the flesh. The old is self-centered and futile. The new is Christ-centered and purposeful. The old is ignorant of God's truth. The new knows and understands it. The old is morally and spiritually calloused. The new is sensitive to sin of every sort, whereas the old is depraved in its thinking. The new is renewed. Listen, the day you accepted Christ, your old walk went away and a new walk was replaced with it. You used to stumble and bumble through your sin in life and now you got some Holy Spirit swag in your step. And this isn't like new shoes type of swag. This is like transformation Steve Rogers to Captain America, Steve Urkel to Stefan Urkel. I'm preaching up here. Somebody say amen. That's transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You have a new image because of Jesus Christ. That's good news because our culture is obsessed with image. Never before has it been so easy to create or destroy your image. Thanks, Instagram. Seriously, I mean, you used to have to work really hard to have like a public image that people respected or wanted. Now you can craft your feed. You can be decent at Photoshop. You can snap some pics of you fitting into a certain crowd, and that's who you are. In the same respect, someone can post some things about you, drag your name through the mud, put your reputation online, and you can spend your entire life trying to rebuild your image. In an instant, it can be gone. But with Jesus, with Jesus, you are made new instantly. At the day of salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells you, and you are now walking a new walk. It doesn't matter where you came from. doesn't matter what you look like. The only thing that matters is that you are a beloved child of God, now walking in eternity and in the freedom of a new image in Jesus Christ. You want a new walk? Change your image. And when those two things happen, something incredible comes after. You start thinking differently. You change your mind. You change your mind. That's number three this morning. Verses 22 through 24. Change your mind. Verse 22 says, Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's the old walk. You've got a new walk now. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So a while back, a buddy of mine was like, hey, um, how'd you like to be like a beta tester for the new operating system of the iPhone? And I was like, that sounds like a great idea. Wasn't a great idea. Here's why. I like technology, but I'm not like super like tech savvy. Um, I use my phone like a normal person, like for everyday things. And these type of beta operating systems are more for like developers to be like, hey, like I have two phones and one's my like testing phone. I'm not like that. I have one phone. And so trying to use it every day with all the glitches and the problems and the bugs they're working through was like super, super frustrating. And I remember just being like, why, why isn't this working? Like, why can't you work the way that you used to? I don't understand. So it's like, poor Siri. She's like taking the brunt of my frustration. 
I don't understand. I don't understand, Brett. But cheesy illustration, right? But the operating system was different. The phone thought differently than it ever had before. It didn't have an option to think the other way because this was the new code that was written into it and this is now the way that it works. The same is true for us. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The world doesn't understand it. All the earthly wisdom in the world can't grasp what you know because of the renewing of your mind in Jesus. We have, a, we have an, an incredible example of this in our church right now. Um, John and Aaron Jimenez are uh, members, small group leaders, faithful attendees of our church, great people, great parents. And they experienced this week the full spectrum of the emotions of a parent. They welcomed uh, into their family seventh-month-old Aaliyah, adopting her, giving her the family that she always deserved. And then they were able to be with their daughter as she was ushered into the presence of Jesus. Not for a moment did they think, this is a waste of time. This isn't worth it. What's the point? But every second they had available, they poured out God's love and grace onto this sweet baby girl. And it doesn't make sense to the world. It doesn't make sense to the medical staff. It doesn't make sense to the numbers in society. But to them, it made perfect sense. To the world, ludicrous. To a renewed mind, what else would we do? We have no other option. This is the way we operate. This is what we do. That's living transformed. That's living renewed. That's a changed mind. I love this quote by Warren Wiersbe. God renews our lives by renewing our minds. And he renews our minds through his truth. This truth is the word of God. That's why we preach his word here. It is a constant, daily, ongoing process of renewing your minds. It is not a one-time fix for everything. It is a decision every day to be renewed by his word. And yet we still sin. And yet it's still hard sometimes. Sometimes I'm, I don't feel like this is a new walk. This actually feels really familiar. I feel like I've been here before. I kind of feel like I'm in the old walk. Why is that? Well, he says something key right here in verse 24. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. The truth is the new self is created after the likeness of God. It is not an exact replica. Our new self, the changed mind, now resides in an unredeemed flesh that lives in an unredeemed world. The flesh that was prone to depravity and darkness, the world that rejected the Savior, sin still exists for the believer. It is unrealistic to believe that it will no longer be an issue. Paul says it in Romans 7, verse 15. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. 
And then later in verse 20, Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So we don't ignore the sin nature. We don't pretend it doesn't exist. We fight it every single day. We make a decision. Nobody woke up today and had to will themselves to sin. You didn't walk in today thinking, man, I really don't want to sin, but I probably should, so I will. It is the natural response of your flesh to do whatever you want. As believers, especially if you grew up in the church, or maybe you're new to church and you're still trying to figure this out, this can really trip you up. Like I got saved 50 times between the ages of 5 and 9 because I thought every time I sinned, I was now unsaved. And then in my teenage years, went to the complete opposite end of that spectrum going, well, they keep telling me that God's loved me and that no one can snatch me from his hand and I'm going to tell things, blah, blah, blah. So I'm just going to do what I want. Because I'm either just going to fight it, fight it, fight it, and then give in and feel terrible, or I can just live in the satisfaction of my own flesh, trusting that God's love, love is enough. In Romans 6, Paul says, Are we to sin that grace may abound? By no means. We are to fight it. But not fighting it as if somehow I'm doing something to save myself again and again, that I'm somehow taking off the things that don't go with my style or my image, that don't work in my frame of mind. I was missing a very important piece of my life in this process, and I don't want to miss it here this morning. So here it is. How to dress for success in your new walk. Put off the old, put on the new. Really simple. Put off the old, put on the new. See, the problem comes when we hold on to our old self like we hold on to our clothes from college or high school. When we accept Christ, we get a new wardrobe. We still have these, uh, these clothes that really, like, they don't fit. Um, they kind of smell weird. There's, like, rips and they're tattered, but but they're comfortable. They're comfortable, so we, we keep them around. And, and sometimes we, we slip them on when no one's looking and kind of just wear them for a little bit. Or we, we layer them, like I'll just wear this you know, underneath this, and it doesn't really go, but I can make it work, and no one will really notice that I'm wearing it. But then someone does notice. They see us wearing it, and they're like, hey, that, that doesn't look good on you. That looks terrible, actually. You should probably take that off. Or you, you walk by and you, you see yourself in the mirror and you're like, oh, whoa, is that what I look like? I look awful. And so we, we have a decision and maybe we decide, okay, I'm going to take it off. I'm just going to take it off and I'll, I'll, just put it, I'll just put it back on this hanger and I'll just, I'll just keep it in the closet because, I don't know, It's sentimental. I don't want to lose it. Like, I know this. I've been there. Like this, like this shirt. I was wearing this shirt when this happened. It was pretty fun. And we kind of keep it around. What, what Paul is saying is, is this put off and put on is not a, like, take it off and hang it back up. It's a, it's a take it off and throw it away. It's a, this doesn't fit your style. It's done. 
replace it with some new clothes. Change your style. Change your image. Change your mind about what you're going to wear. Turn over to Colossians 3. It's only a few pages away to your right. And we're going we're gonna to close this morning looking at how to dress for success practically. What do I need to put on? What do I need to put off? As we close, we're going to go into a time of, of worship and giving of our tithes and offerings and communion. I love, I love taking communion this morning uh, out of this passage because it is a picture of how we can put off and put on. When we constantly remind ourselves of our Savior, of the price that He paid, of His blood covering us, it gives us the ability to wear the new clothes. And it gives us the ability to shed the old ones. So we're going to have this list on the screen. It's all from Colossians 3. You can see it there as you read through it. But I want us to spend some time with it. I want to read through them, reflect on them, maybe take some time and write down something specific that you know God is asking you to take off. something that God is calling you to get rid of in your life. Don't hang it back up in the closet. It's not helping you walk new. It's hindering you. And then just referring back to that, the truth, the truth is in Jesus. So to be able to put this on and to put off the old, you have to know who Jesus is. You have to have your mind changed by the power of who he is. So as we reflect on these things, we're going to ask him to remove it. God, surrender. I surrender these things to you. Renew the spirit of my mind. I love that, the spirit of your mind. We're not just talking about like it's a different way to think. This is like your inner self, like your, your soul and your mind, the thing you can't really grasp hold of. You can't do surgery and see it. It is the thing that affects all of your cognitive reasoning and your ability to form decisions. It is changed in Jesus. It's not anything like it was before. So as we sing, as we go to worship, as we give our offering because of all that he's given, as we take communion, remembering his sacrifice for us, Let's reflect on these things that God is calling us to, to put off and then to put on. And then we'll close the service together. You're free to take communion and give your offering at any point during the, during the last little bit here and you don't have to wait for anybody to tell you what to do. Your communion's available, offering's available. And then there'll be people up front who would love to, to pray with you, to talk to you more about this and honestly talk to you like, what does it mean to walk with Christ? What does it mean to have just a new walk? I want to put off some stuff, but I don't even know what to put on yet. They would love to talk to you more about that, what that means to accept Christ and seek the Lord with you to help you walk new. Let's pray as we close. God, you are you are making all things new. You are in the business of new creations. You are in the business of transformation. 
You are constantly calling us to a deeper understanding of who we are in you, that our image, our identity is rooted in Jesus Christ. So God, as we as we come to your table this morning, as we come to the foot of the cross again and see the work that you did there, taking all of our old, dirty, smelly, awful clothes onto you and pinning them to the cross, paying for that sin, paying for that repeated struggle in our life, God, because we know that when we surrender that to you, not my will, but yours be done, God, we continue on in a new walk, a walk that has satisfaction and freedom more than we've ever known, more than this world could ever offer. God, help us to change for your glory, for your kingdom. By your strength and your strength alone, God, we pray. Amen.